you have a copy of God's Word, I want to encourage you to turn with me this morning to the book of Ruth, chapter 4, Ruth, chapter 4. When I was growing up, back in the last century, long time ago, we had this rhyme that kids would say on the playground to embarrass one another. It went like this, Rocky and Sherry sitting in a tree, K-I-S-S-I-N-G, first comes love, then comes marriage. Then comes Rocky pushing a baby carriage. Well, today as we look at Ruth chapter 4, that's basically the story of Ruth chapter 4. First comes love, then comes marriage, then comes Boaz pushing a baby carriage. As we look at the book of Ruth, the book of Ruth begins with, with three funerals. But it ends with a, a wedding and the birth of a baby. It begins with Naomi experiencing great bitterness. But it ends with Naomi experiencing the abundant blessings of God. It begins at one of the darkest, most wicked times in Israel's history. But as it ends, there is this glimmer of hope. Not only for the nation of Israel, but for all of humanity. The book of Ruth is all about love. It's about true love. And we hear a lot about love today. We sing a lot about love today. But the problem is, I, I don't think we really understand what love is all about. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 said this He said, Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous, it's not boastful, it's not proud or rude, does not demand its own way, it's not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. And I believe we see that kind of true love on display in the book of Ruth. You see, the love that is born in heaven is entirely different than the kind of love that is scripted in Hollywood. Now, now before we get into chapter 4 and we, we finish this story up, I want us to review for a little bit. Chapter 1 begins, the Bible says, during the time of the judges. And, and as I said, this was a dark time. This is a wicked time, an evil time. In Israel's history, the Bible says everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. And the Bible tells us that there was a famine in the land of Bethlehem. And because of that, there was this Jew, Elimelech, who moved with his wife and his two kids to Moab. Now, Moab was an evil, wicked place. In Psalms chapter 60, God calls Moab his wash basin. It was a horrible place, but, but that's where Elimelech moved with his family. And after he was there for a short time, Elimelech died, leaving Naomi with two boys. Her two boys got married to two Moabite women, but after a short time, both of her sons died. That leave Naomi with two daughters-in-law. There were three women in this pagan land trying to fend for themselves. After a while... They hear that the famine was no longer in Bethlehem, that, that God was again blessing the land. So Naomi and her two daughters-in-law began to trek back to Bethlehem. Along the way, 
Naomi stopped and she told her two daughters-in-law to go back to Moab to their family and to their gods because they were young and they could find other husbands. And one of the daughters-in-law did what Naomi said, but the other one, Ruth, she refused. And she shared some words that have become some of the most well-known words from the Bible. And they are some of the most beautiful words, not only in the Bible, but in human history. And what is amazing about these words is they weren't said from a wife to a husband or a bride to a bridegroom. They were said from, to a, from a daughter-in-law to her mother-in-law. Ruth said this. She said, where you go, I will go. Where you live, I will live. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. And where you die... I will die. Then she said this, if anything but death separates us, God punish me severely. And in those words, we discover the foundational truth of true love. And that is this, true love is devoted. True love weathers the storms of life. It's for better or for worse, for richer or for poor, in sickness and in health, till death do us part. True love is a lifetime commitment. Now, as we move into chapter 2, Ruth and Naomi are back in Bethlehem, but there's still two women living on their own. They are dirt poor. They have nothing. And Ruth very quickly realizes that unless she goes out and begins to work, they're going to die. They're not going to have food to eat. And so she goes out into the field to get some of the grain that is left over by the harvesters. There was this law in Israel that when you harvested your crops, you were to leave crops so that the poor and the foreigners could have something to eat. And so Ruth is out there working hard, and, and it just so happens that Boaz, who owns the field, comes up. Now, to understand, nothing just so happens with God. If you're a child of God and your desire is to live in the center of his will, nothing happens by chance. God is behind the scenes orchestrating everything that happens to accomplish his purpose for his glory and your good. And so Boaz comes up, he's looking out in the field and his eyes latch on to Ruth. And I believe it was love at first sight. And he asked his foreman, who is that woman working in the field? The foreman tells him who it is. It's Ruth, the Moabite. So he invites Ruth over and he says, I want you to stay in my field for the entire harvest season. Don't leave this field. And I will protect you. I will provide for you. And then he started speaking encouraging words to her. He invited her to his table to eat. And Ruth spent the entire harvest season working in Ruth's fields. It's in that chapter that we discover the second truth about true love. And that's this. True love is kind. When we love someone, when we really love them, we will want to meet their needs, heal their hurts, build them up. That's kindness. That's love in action. But chapter 2 ends with Ruth still in the field. Boaz has never asked her out. They're still there as friends. So as chapter 3 begins, at least several months have passed. 
And Naomi, the mother-in-law, decides, I'm going to take action. I'm going to take matters into my own hands. So she brings Ruth in and she says, listen, tonight is the night when the harvest season is over. They're going to be threshing the grain on the threshing floor. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to take a bath. I want you to put on some perfume. I want you to put on your nicest clothes. In other words, take off the clothes of a widow who is in mourning. Put on something nice. And I want you to go out to the threshing floor and I want you to watch and wait. And after they get through eating and drinking and everyone gets ready for bed, I want you to watch. And I want you to see where Boaz goes and he lies down. And once he falls asleep, I want you to go to where he's at. I want you to take the cover off of his feet. And then I want you to lie down right there and wait. And Ruth said, I'll do exactly what you ask. And so she did that. And about midnight, Boaz woke up because his feet were cold. And he saw this woman at the end of his bed. And he said, who are you? And she said, I am your servant Ruth. Spread the corner of your covering over me, for you are my family redeemer. And understand, there was nothing immoral, there was nothing sexual in what Ruth said. But she was, in effect, asking Boaz to marry her. She was saying, marry me, take care of me. You are the man the Lord has provided to redeem me. Now understand, that was risky. She was risking being taken advantage of. She was risking being misunderstood. She was risking her reputation all for love. You see, true love requires that we make ourselves vulnerable. True love requires that we take risk. C.S. Lewis said this. He said, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything And your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly broken. Did you hear that? You love and your heart most likely is going to be wrung. It might be broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one. Avoid entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. Put it in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless. It will change. It will not be broken It will become unbreakable, impenetrable. And that takes us to what we discover in chapter 3, the third quality of true love, and that is this, true love trust. Ruth was willing to step out and trust to discover true love. And when she gave Boaz her proposal, Boaz was blown away. Ladies, understand, sometimes you have to make the first move. You may have to. True story, you heard last week about how Sherry and I started dating and we went on our first date and I don't know why, but on that first or second date or so, I told Sherry, if I ever date anybody over two months, I'm probably marrying them. I'd never dated anybody over two months. And little did I know that she started marking off her calendar. And at the end of two months, she was probably wondering, why haven't you asked me? Two months turned into three months. Three months turned into four months. Time passed. And and we started talking about marriage. And I got to tell you, I just wasn't sure. I mean, this was a big deal. This was a major step. And I wanted to make sure I was marrying the same person. But Sherry said, well, I know. You're who I'm supposed to marry. 
And sooner or later, God's going to tell you, so I'm just going to sit and wait. And she did. But her telling me that gave me the courage to ask her. Boaz was humble. He was excited. He was ready. He told her not to worry. I'm going to take care of everything. And that's what happens in trusting relationships. Is there the possibility that we will get hurt? Absolutely, without a doubt. When you trust someone, anyone, you can get hurt. But understand, you are never going to discover true love without trusting. But when you trust someone, it's not only risky. When you trust someone, you're going to be patient. Boaz drops a bombshell on Ruth. He says, there's another man. There's another man who has the legal right to marry you before I can. And if he chooses to marry you, then you must marry him. He will be your family redeemer. But don't worry, I'm going to take care of this first thing in the morning. And that takes us to chapter 4. And in chapter 4, we discover this fourth and final characteristic of true love, and that is this, true love values. It values the one that it loves. No price is too great, no cost is too high when true love is involved. Now listen to God's word. Boaz went to the town gate, he took a seat there, just then the family redeemer he had mentioned came by. So Boaz called out to him, come over here and sit down, friend. I want to talk to you. So they sat down together. Then Boaz called 10 leaders from the town and asked them to, to sit as witnesses. And Boaz said to the family redeemer, you know Naomi who came back from Moab. She is selling the land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should speak to you about it so that you can redeem it if you wish. If you want the land, then buy it here in the presence of these witnesses. But if you don't want it, let me know right away because I'm next in line to redeem it after you. The man replied, all right, I'll redeem it. Now, if you've been reading through the book of Ruth and you've been following this love story, all of a sudden your heart drops. I mean, if you don't know the end of the story, your heart drops. Because you've just been wanting Ruth and Boaz to get together and finally it's going to happen. And all of a sudden this other guy who is next in line to be the family redeemer says, I'll redeem the land. But that's when Boaz throws the curveball at him. Then Boaz told him, of course, your purchase of the land from Naomi also requires that you marry Ruth, the Moabite widow. That way she can have children who would carry on her husband's name and keep the land in the family. Then I can't redeem it, the family redeemer replied, because this might endanger my own estate. You redeem the land. I cannot do it. Now, in those days, it was the custom in Israel for anyone transferring a right of purchase to, to remove his sandal and hand it to the other party. This publicly validated the transaction. So the other family redeemer drew off his sandal as he said to Boaz, you buy the land. Then Boaz said to the elders and to the crowd standing around, you are witnesses that the day I bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Malon, and with the land I've acquired Ruth, the Moabite widow of Malon, to be my wife. This way, she can have a son to carry on the family name of her dead husband and to inherit the family property here in his hometown. You are all witnesses today. Then the elders and all the people standing in the gate replied, We are witnesses. 
May the Lord make this woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah from whom all the nations of Israel descended. May you prosper in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. And may the Lord give you descendants by this young woman who will be like those of our ancestor Perez, the son of Tamar in Judah. So Boaz took Ruth into his home. She became his wife. When he slept with her, the Lord enabled her to become pregnant. She gave birth to a son. Then the women of the town said to Naomi, Praise the Lord who has now provided a redeemer for your family. May this child be famous in Israel. May he restore your youth and care for you in your old age. For he is the son of your daughter-in-law who loves you and has been better to you than seven sons. Naomi took the baby, cuddled him to her breast, and she cared for him as if he were her own. The neighbor women said, now at last Naomi has a son again. And they named him Obed. He became the father of Jesse and the grandfather of Jacob. Now let's stop there. So first thing in the morning, Boaz went to the town gate. Now you need to understand the town gate was like the city courthouse. It was the place where business was conducted. Now, I want you to know that Boaz, I don't think, was thinking of business that morning. He was thinking of his bride-to-be, Ruth. But if, bride, if Ruth was going to be his bride, he had to conduct business. And so he was at the family uh, the, um, gate to the city waiting for this man to come by. And the other man, who was the closer family redeemer, walks by and Boaz calls him over. Then he calls over ten witnesses, elders who would witness the legal transaction, the, the business transaction that was about to take place. And this is where the negotiations begin. First of all, Boaz tells this other family redeemer that Naomi is selling a piece of land, a piece of land that belonged to Elimelech, and he's the closest family redeemer, and he has the first right to buy that land, and that's true. So this man hears this offer that he has offered this piece of property that he's going to get at a good price and, and he can grow grain on that piece of property, make money. He can grow grapes on that piece of property, make money. He can do whatever he wants to on that piece of property. And then that piece of property is going to go to his children and be in his family forever and ever and ever. And so this man is thinking, this is great. I want the land. I mean, I'm sure you've heard they're not making any more land. I mean, if you can find a piece of land at a good price, buy it. Because if you can find a piece of land at a good price sooner or later, you're going to be able to sell that piece of land and make some money if you want to. So this man said, this is a good deal. This is a good buy. Yes, I want the land. And then Boaz said, oh, doggone it. I forgot to tell you. There's a little catch. If you buy the land you got to marry Naomi's widow daughter-in-law, Ruth, the Moabite. Remember the Moabites. They're the ones that led Israel into sexual immorality and 24,000 of us died by plague. Remember them? Remember the Moabites. They're the ones that God has said cannot go into the temple up until the 10th generation. The Moabites. These are wicked people, evil people. And you got to marry Ruth, the Moabite. But not only do you have to marry Ruth, the Moabite, 
You have to have some children by Ruth the Moabite. And when you have a child by Ruth the Moabite, they get the land that you're buying. And it will be in their family forever and ever, not in your family. And the man's going, wait a second. (laughs) You didn't tell me all of that. You mean I've got to take in Ruth, I've got to take in Naomi, I've got to take care of both of them. I've got to have kids with this woman, this Moabite woman. And then when I have kids with her, the land that I'm buying becomes their land. No, I can't do that. That may mess up my own family line, my own inheritance for my kids. I'm not doing it. You can buy it. And Boaz said, very well. And so the man took off his sandal. And in that day, when you were doing a business transaction that included land, you would take off a sandal. You would symbolically hand it to the person that you were giving them the right to buy the land. And it was saying to them that you were giving up the right to walk on that land. For you who are baseball fans, I'm sure you've heard of Shoeless Joe Jackson. I believe that's his name, the baseball player. Well, this guy's name from then on out was One Sandal Sam. One Sandal Sam. He sold his right to buy the land to Boaz. And Boaz bought it. Because no price was too great. No cost was too high when you really love someone. When you value someone. There is nothing in the book of Ruth to indicate. There is nothing in history that tells us that Boaz had another wife. There is nothing that tells us that he already had children from another woman. When he married Ruth, everything that he had would go to Ruth's kids. And understand, it would not perpetuate his family tree. It would perpetuate Nalon's family tree. He was in effect giving up his family line because he loved and valued Ruth. No cost was too great. No price was too High because true love values. And that's the reason that we see the order that we started with. First comes love, then comes marriage, then comes Boaz pushing a baby carriage. That's the way that it was. Ruth was valued by Boaz. And so Boaz wasn't going to take advantage of her. He could have. He was a wealthy, well-known businessman. She was a poor, unknown foreigner. But he loved her. He valued her. And he refused to take advantage of her. And because of that, he followed God's order. First love, then marriage, then sex, then babies. That's God's order. In Hebrews 13, it says this. Marriage should be honored by all. And then listen to the second phrase. And the marriage bed kept Pure, for God will adjudge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Understand, sex outside of marriage is sin. Premarital sex is sin. Sex with anyone that you're not married to is sin. Period. And we're not being taught that today in our society. We're not being taught that in our culture. We're taught anything goes. Everyone do what's right in your own eyes. 
And yet the Bible is very clear here. Not only is sex outside of marriage sin, the Bible is very clear that if you really love someone, you're not going to ask them to do something that's going to devalue them. And when you have sex outside of marriage, you are devaluing the person that you're having sex with. I want every unmarried man, every unmarried boy to listen to me right now. If you love someone, really love them, you're not going to ask them to have sex with you until you put a ring on their finger and you have a marriage license that is signed in your hand. And the reason is because you value them. And anything less, ladies, girls, listen, they don't value you. If he can't keep his pants up until he says, I do, he doesn't value you. True love values the person that is loved. Now, in marriage, we value our spouse above everything and everyone else. We value our spouse above our parents. That's why God says in Genesis chapter 2, a man will leave his mother and father, be united to his wife, and the two will become one. Did you get that? Leave mother and father, be united to your wife, the two become one. That doesn't say that we love our parents less. It just says we love our spouse more. I mean, that's what the Bible teaches there. Our first priority is now the one that we are married to. We value our spouse over our children. I know that sounds crazy, I know it sounds wild, but understand, when you love your spouse more, you will love your children more. And your children will see what it looks like to have a godly, love-filled marriage. And you certainly love your spouse more than your job or your career or your hobbies. Now, how do we value someone? Well, we can do it in a lot of ways, but let me give you three. We value someone in how we speak. The way that we speak is going to be to build them up, encourage them. Our words are going to be words of affirmation. We value them in the way we spend our time. We're going to give them first place on our calendar. Back years ago when we had kids and and, I mean, we, we don't have kids in the house now. We've got a different schedule now. But back then, Friday was marked off on my calendar for my wife. Now, everybody can't do that. But with my schedule, I could do that. And Friday, it was my wife's. If someone called and said, I need to meet with you on Friday, I said, I'm sorry, I've got another appointment. They didn't have to know that it was with my wife. They just needed to know I had another appointment that was so important that if I didn't keep that appointment, it would mess up everything else I was doing in life. When we value someone, it's going to show in the way we spend our time. When we value someone, it's going to show in the way we spend our resources. We're going to quit being selfish. It's crazy to me today how many people get married and yet they say, this is my money and that's their money. Let me tell you, when you get married, it's not your money and my money, it's our money. 
It's all meshed together. And Sherry and I got married. I said, baby, what I've got yours, what you got yours, it's all yours. <laughs> now, I'm joking somewhat. <laughs> somewhat. But I wanted her to know that, man, everything I had, I mean, apart from using it to bring glory to God, I wanted to use it to make her happy. And so I remember our first couple of Christmases. I mean, we didn't have kids. We had this Christmas tree that we got from the Salvation Army or somewhere. I mean, we were poor. We didn't know it, but we were poor. We got this Christmas tree, and we had it up. And, you know, Sherry, I mean, she has no problem going to sleep at night. I mean, she doesn't know what insomnia means. Head to the pillow, asleep. And so Christmas Eve, that first Christmas Eve, we went to bed. She fell asleep, and I got up. I went and I got the stuff that I'd bought for her for Christmas and I put it out. And I don't remember whether it's first Christmas or second Christmas. I can't remember, but I had gone to the department store. That's when we had department stores and we had a belk. And I went to belk and I got her some clothes. And I was, she'll look hot in that clothes. She'll look hot in that dress. She looks hot in anything, by the way. But. So I got her those dresses and then I got her some some jewelry, I mean, it's costume jewelry, that's all I could afford, but it was jewelry nevertheless, and she got up, and these things were sitting out. Why did I do that? I did that because I wanted to use the resources I had to show her I loved her. And that's what we do when we love someone. We value them. It's not about us, it's about them. You see, the book of Ruth teaches us that true love is devoted. True love is kind. True love trust, true love values. And here's what I believe. If we put into practice those qualities in our relationships, it will change everything. But Ruth isn't just a love story between Ruth and Boaz. Oh, no. We get to the very last part of Ruth and we see this genealogy, this put there at the very end and we wonder why is why is this here what does this have to do with the storyline of Ruth I mean this is a love story for goodness sakes a love story that Ruth had with her mother-in-law and then with Boaz and and I mean the that story should end and they lived happily ever after but but it didn't we're given this family tree Ruth gave birth to Obad. Obad gave birth to Jesse. And Jesse gave birth to David. And all of a sudden it clicks. David. David. David's the king of Israel. The one after God's own heart. The one who was promised that from his line would come the redeemer of all humanity. And that moves the love story from, from Bethlehem into the future a thousand years still in Bethlehem. And we move from a story of this love that is found between Ruth and Boaz to a story that is found, a love story between Mary and Joseph. And Ruth and Boaz had this baby named Obed. Mary and Joseph had this baby named Jesus. 
who would be the Savior of the world. You see, from the love story that began with Ruth and Boaz, from that family tree came the Savior, the Redeemer of all humanity. And all of a sudden we discover that the story of Ruth isn't just a love story to tell us how to have great marriages. It's a love story that tells us how much God loves us. How much he values us. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. God values you so much that he used a love story to send his son to earth to die in your place. To die in my place. Oh goodness, God values you more than you'll ever know. And there are some of you here today who have never received, accepted the love of God. He loves you, but you haven't loved Him in return. You haven't received that love. And today, I'm begging you, receive God's love. Don't miss out on the entire storyline of the Bible because of your selfish, self-centered ways. Receive his love. I want you to bow your head. I want you to close your eyes. With your head bowed, with your eyes closed, if you're here, and you've never received God's love, today's your day. I can promise you that you're not here by accident. I can promise you that God, through the power of his Holy Spirit, is longing for a relationship with you. And if you'll only trust him and receive his love, he will save you today. But you've got to accept him. You've got to receive him. And so if that's what you desire to do today, then I encourage you to humble yourself and pray this prayer to him right now. Dear God, I humbly come to you today acknowledging that I am a sinner. I've lived life my way. I'm so sorry. Forgive me. Jesus, I believe you came to this earth I believe you died on that cross in my place. I believe you rose from the grave defeating sin and death for me. Oh, your love. Thank you for loving me. Today I'm receiving it. I'm trusting you to save me. I'm surrendering my life to you. 
take control. Fill me with your spirit. Make me brand new, I pray. Thank you for hearing my prayer.